I'm Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today I want to talk about triumphant Christianity and whether triumphant Christianity is really possible. Before I dive into that message, I wanted to invite you to check out our new Ellerslie website. It's Ellerslie, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E, Ellerslie.com. And no, that is not a combination of Eric and Leslie Ludi's names together. You can go on the website to read where that name came from. But on Ellerslie.com, you will see our 2020 discipleship programs and our spring semester, whether it's a week-long, a five-week, or a season-long program that you'd like to join us for, Our best pricing on our 2020 spring discipleship programs is ending on December 2nd. So there's a few days left, about a week left to get the very best prices on registration for a week or a semester or a season. And if you've never heard of Ellerslie, it's our discipleship training program in Colorado. It's we have a campus at the base of the beautiful Rocky Mountains. It's a peaceful, set apart, Christ-centered place where you can focus on Jesus, tune out the distractions of this world, and become grounded in truth. And over the past 10 years, we've had really hundreds and hundreds of Christians of all ages, from all backgrounds, from all around the world, come together for that singular purpose of focusing on Jesus. And it's been so amazing to see what God has done. So if that's something that stirs you, something that you're longing for, or even as I'm talking today, you're longing for that return of triumphant Christianity, not only in your own life, but in the life of Christians around you, consider joining us at Ellerslie to really have your spiritual fire ignited and really be infused with life-changing truth. And on the website, you'll also see our brand new powerful video about the return of triumphant Christianity for such a time as this. That's right on the homepage at ellerslie.com. So I hope you'll check that out. So let's dive into that question. Is triumphant Christianity possible? You can probably tell just from some of the things I said a minute ago that I believe triumphant Christianity is possible. In fact, it is the pattern of true Christianity. But when we look around at the Christian world today, especially in America, in culture, we don't often see triumphant Christianity. We see a lot of mediocrity, a lot of defeat, a lot of doubt. Really, as I've traveled around the country and even to other countries over the past 20 plus years, I've observed two versions of Christianity. The one that is the large majority are Christians who sort of have accepted mediocrity and looked at things like doubt and defeat and failure and fear and pride and all of those things as just normal parts of the Christian life and something that you just accept and just learn to deal with. And there's a rare few that really believe that walking in victory, hope, joy, and peace on a consistent basis is actually possible for the Christian. And yet when we choose that more uncommon way, it's a more difficult path. It's not the easy way. So let's dive into that question. Is triumphant Christianity really possible. You can probably tell from what I've already said that I do believe triumphant Christianity is possible. In fact, our Ellerslie Discipleship Program is built around that vision of bringing triumph back to the church of Jesus Christ today. And so where does real triumphant Christianity come from? One of the absolute most foundational principles for victorious Christian living is understanding that there is a cost to taking up our cross and following after Jesus. I think so often in the modern church, when we're first presented with the gospel, we're often oftentimes presented with a very easy, shallow gospel, and it leaves us comfortable right where we are. It's not often taught to young new believers that they need to take up their cross and die to self and follow Jesus Christ wherever he calls them to go, that their lives are not their own. They've been bought with a price. And 
we oftentimes just accept that easy gospel early in our Christianity and maybe even go to a church that keeps us comfortable right where we are, never challenges us beyond just that mediocrity, um, that sin-based lifestyle that we're so used to. And whenever we start to get to that place where we feel like Christianity just isn't working for me, I just, I read about all these incredible promises in scripture, but they're not real to me. They're not lived out in my daily life. So often that is because we've never really made that choice to say, I'm with Jesus no matter what it costs. My life is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. So often we're waffling in between the cross and the world. And if you've tuned into this podcast for a while now, you've probably heard me reference the story from Eric, my husband, when he was a young missionary before he and I were married, when he was witnessing with a group of other Christians in New Orleans on Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras. So you can imagine the kind of environment that they were walking into. It was just all sorts of sin and debauchery and partying and drinking and everything you can imagine, really. And they were trying to take the gospel into that crowd. And a group of his fellow missionaries had built this big wooden cross. They were going to stand there and use that cross as something to make a statement and get attention and then hand out tracts. And Eric did not want to stand too close to the cross because he thought that'd be kind of embarrassing in the middle of this crowd to make such a big statement. So he kind of stayed in between the cross and the partiers. He wasn't really with the partiers, but he really wasn't with Jesus and the cross and his group of missionaries. He was just in that gray territory. And while he was in that gray territory, nobody paid much attention to him. He had it pretty easy. Nobody was getting upset with him. He was just comfortable. And yet inwardly, he was miserable because he knew that he hadn't really fully made that choice to say, I'm with Jesus. And once he finally decided to walk over and put his arm around that cross, everybody knew where he stood. Everybody knew that he was crossing over and saying, I'm no longer with the world. I'm no longer in this gray area in between. I am fully and completely with Jesus. And even though once he stood with the cross, he had people throwing things at him and yelling at him and cussing at him and throwing beer at him. He had never been so happy. He had that victory, that joy that comes when we give everything to Jesus, when we give up our lives and say, not my will, but yours be done. I live for your glory alone. So he was discovering in the midst of that difficulty, being mocked by the world and being put in that uncomfortable situation, he was discovering a taste of that victorious, joyful, triumphant Christian living that actually comes when we give up our lives and stand boldly with Jesus. So counting the cost, understanding what it really means to take up our cross and follow Jesus Christ is that first step towards triumphant Christianity. The Bible describes a time when the people of Israel had to make a choice about which king they wanted to serve. It was between David or Saul. David was God's chosen king for Israel, but he had been forced to run for his life, and he was actually living in a cave because Saul was still in control of the kingdom, and he was obsessed with finding David and killing him and killing anyone that would show loyalty to David. He just declared that anyone who sided with David would be put to death. And those who were willing to remain under Saul's rule could enjoy an easy, comfortable life. They didn't have persecution. They didn't have hardship or difficulty. But they were loyal to Saul and not to the true king of Israel. There were some people who refused to choose their own comforts over loyalty to the true king. They were dissatisfied with serving a false king. They knew that serving David would mean leaving their security and their comforts behind. 
side and choosing a life of difficulty over a life of ease. To join David in the cave meant living in exile and maybe sleeping on a rock instead of a pillow and even being on Saul's most wanted list, being hunted for your life. And yet these men who were loyal to David, they were so discontent living under Saul's control that they became willing to even give up their lives in order to serve the true king. So they made that choice to go to David and pledge their lives to his service. When these men left Saul's camp to dwell in the cave with the true king, their lives were not comfortable or easy because they were hunted, they were hated, they were mocked just like David was. They took on David's reproach. They became known as traitors just like David was. But they developed such a deep, unshakable love and loyalty to their king that nothing else mattered but serving him and honoring him. David's name means beloved, and that's the way his followers treated him. They knew that even with all the risks and the hardships that came from choosing to stand with David, it was the most fulfilling and amazing life they could ever choose because they were in the center of God's will. David's men powerfully showed their incredible love toward him during something that took place during David's exile in the cave when the Philistines had taken control of a lot of Israel. The soldiers were holding the town of Bethlehem hostage, and that was the place of David's birth. And David was parched with thirst, and he expressed this longing for a sip of water from a certain well in Bethlehem. And it was a death mission for David to send any of his men to that well to get a drink. It was surrounded by enemy soldiers. And when he said that he wanted a drink from the well, it was just more a wishful thought, not a command that anyone should go get him water. But as soon as they heard that he wanted water from that well, they sprang into action. They broke through the camp of the Philistines, it says. They drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they brought it to David. So imagine what they had to go through just to give him that cup of water. But David would not drink it. He poured it out to the Lord, and he said, Far be it from me, O my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For at the risk of their lives, they brought it. Now, that is such an awe-inspiring example, and it really challenges us with this question. Do we possess that kind of to-the-death loyalty to our true king, who is Jesus Christ? Are you and I so devoted to him that we would gladly exchange the comforts of Saul's kingdom for the difficulties and dangers of David's cave? Do we love our king so much that we would be numbered among the hunted and the despised along with him? And are we willing to go straight into the most dangerous situations, risk our own lives simply to honor his request? Those are very challenging questions to grapple with. There have been times in my life when I've been guilty of drawing near to Christ with my mouth and honoring him with my lips while my heart was far from him, as it says in Matthew 15, 8. There have been too many times when my own security and my own comfort mattered more than bringing glory to his name. Maybe that's something you can relate to. So many of us in the modern church are happy to sing songs about Jesus and write about him and talk about him to other believers. But when the true test of loyalty comes, we so quickly choose our own personal comfort over radical abandonment to him. It's possible that we may take a few small risks for his namesake, but if he asked for a drink from a well that was surrounded by enemy warriors, we'd oftentimes reason, well, if I went that far in my devotion to him, I'd be putting myself at risk. I'd be making myself vulnerable to discomfort and pain, and I might even get killed. I can't give up everything for him. It's just not reasonable. 
But Jesus Christ gave up everything for us, and he asks if we will give him everything in return. And when we say yes to that invitation, that is the secret to discovering the vibrant, victorious Christianity of the Bible and finding that something more, that something deeper that our hearts are longing for. Over our past 10 years at Ellerslie Discipleship Training, as we have interacted with believers from all around the world, I have been so privileged to watch God do such a tremendous work in the hearts and lives of men and women who are willing to make that choice. They've been set free from worldliness and sinful strongholds and mediocrity, and they've chosen to live lives of complete abandonment to Jesus Christ. A lot of them have had to give up comforts and material possessions and security and fame and opportunities in order to take up their cross and follow him. But even though they have lost many things that the world would say this is important, they are some of the most happiest and self-sacrificing people I've ever met because they have forsaken compromise and mediocrity and they've chosen to come away with Jesus. And he's become their everything, not just in their words, but in their day-to-day reality. Now, this doesn't mean they're perfect. Those who have chosen this path are going to be continually refined and corrected by the Spirit of God. But The continual victory and intimacy with Jesus Christ that they've discovered is real and lasting, and I can testify of that in my own life as well. Of course, those of us who choose that narrow way of taking up our cross and following him will continue to have struggles. In fact, it's choosing a more difficult way. But by God's grace, we can learn to triumph through trials and fight the enemy's harassments with prayer and overcome his lies with truth. Just like David's men forsook their allegiance to Saul, the men and women that I have met that have chosen to give everything to Jesus Christ have forsaken their allegiance to this world, to this culture. They're not preoccupied with the favor of the world, with popularity. They would rather spend an hour at the feet of Jesus than just watching the latest comedy on TV. They've built their lives around the eternal rather than the temporal, and they have a joy that can't be shaken because they're single-minded, passionate, unwavering loyalty to the true king, and their willingness to follow him with radical abandonment has helped them discover a Christianity that really works, and their lives are profoundly impacting this world as a result. And the reason I share this with you, that I have seen this in the lives of hundreds of Christians from around the world, is because when we are just living our own lives today in Christianity, it's really hard sometimes to know whether there are others out there that long for that something more and are willing to radically give up their lives to follow Jesus. When you look around and all you see is mediocrity, you can feel alone or you can feel that maybe something's wrong with you, that you actually discover something more. But the reality is there is more. There's more to Christianity than what most of us are experiencing today. And there's more to intimacy with Jesus Christ than what most of us have discovered. There's more to being a follower of Christ than just adopting a few Christian morals and being part of a maybe Christian social club that we call church. There's more to the Christian life than what a lot of Christian leaders today are preaching. And not everyone appreciates hearing there's more because it sort of implies that we need to change, that there's something more we need to discover, that we as modern Christians are not exactly where we're supposed to be. And it means that we can't live in mediocrity while giving lip service to Christ. To come away with the one true king, we can't just visit him from time to time in the cave. We have to live there, to dwell there, to abide there with our king. And the same way, to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, there can be no turning back.
So like I said at the beginning of this episode, over the past 20 plus years in Christian ministry, I've encountered two kinds of believers. There are Christians who are content to remain comfortably where they are and listen to messages that just tickle their ears. And then there are those who have a holy discontent, a longing for something deeper. If you're one of the latter group, you are dissatisfied with just going through the motions of Christianity. You want the real thing. You want to not just draw near to Christ with your words, but you want to live a passionate daily relationship with him. And you want to experience the joy and the peace and the victory and the power promised in scripture to those who believe. You want that kind of to the death loyalty to Jesus Christ that David's followers had for their king. So let's quickly look at some practical ways to experience that kind of triumph in our daily lives. And as I said before, the first step is to count the cost. We have to stop waffling somewhere between the world and the cross. It's really easy to embrace Christianity only so far as it doesn't threaten our comforts and our popularity. But true set-apartness means clinging to the cross and lifting it high for the world to see. It means living in such a way that leaves no questions as to where our true loyalties lie. When people observe our lives, they should see us unashamedly embracing the cross and boldly declaring, I'm with Jesus. Jesus actually said that we will be reviled and hated for his sake. So do we expect that or are we still seeking to be liked and accepted by the world and approved by all our friends and family members? I remember hearing a woman say that radical devotion to Christ is too extreme and we need to become part of the world and like the world in order to reach it. But Jesus said something very different. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And he said, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Remember this, true Christianity will influence the world, but it will never be applauded by the world. It's always been and will always be offensive to the culture. It's only when we no longer care what we look like to this world that we can truly impact the world for Jesus Christ. God says that our lives will give off an appealing fragrance to those who are ready to receive Christ, but to those enslaved to sin, our separation from the world will cause offense everywhere we go. There's really no way around that because we fooled ourselves if we think that worldliness somehow brings glory to God. We need to embrace the foolishness of the gospel and the reproach of Christ. If we don't, we'll quickly become the kind of lukewarm Christian that God spews out of his mouth. When contemplating that decision to lift high the cross of Jesus Christ, let's not overlook this vital truth. Being set apart for Christ is not a hindrance to our Christian witness. Being set apart for Christ is our Christian witness. And if you want to know more about this, I encourage you to read Hebrews 11 and be reminded of what really makes a true spiritual hero, not compliance with the culture, but complete consecration to the true king. You can also study the lives of Christians throughout history and see the very same pattern. It wasn't their ability to blend in with the world that caused them to influence others for eternity. It wasn't the fact that they kept up with cultural trends and they knew how to gain popularity and approval that helped them to win souls. It was actually the opposite. What made the men and women of the past that were true heroes in the kingdom of God, what made them so unstoppable for God's kingdom was their willingness to be rejected and mocked and despised and misunderstood. So many of them were scorned and falsely accused and abused in extreme ways, but through it all, they remained more than conquerors because they were living for something far greater than earthly applause. When we stop being enamored by the world and we start being captivated by our true king, the world will stand back in awe and wonder. 
Non-believers may mock and revile us, but in the end, they will be unable to deny the unstoppable, unshakable power of true Christianity, and they will be changed by what they see in our lives. Just think about the powerful testimony of Stephen in the book of Acts. The unbelievers that he was preaching to were so offended by his life and his words that they stopped their ears, they gnashed their teeth at him, and they eventually drove him out of the city and stoned him. The Bible says, though, that they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Living the triumphant Christian life starts with that simple decision to leave behind the world and its passing pleasures and hold on to Jesus Christ and his cross no matter the cost. Stephen lost his life that day, but it wasn't a loss for him. It says that his face was so radiant that it looked like the face of an angel. And even in the moment of his death, he was looking up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Think about that. Jesus normally sits at the right hand of the Father. But it's almost as if he was standing to welcome Stephen into his presence. And you can almost hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. When it comes down to choosing what we would rather have, the applause of heaven or the applause of this world, I know which one I want to choose. So ask yourself this question, am I ready to let go of lukewarm living and cling boldly to the cross of Jesus Christ? The cross at first glance may seem like the most undesirable place to be, but the moment that your hand wraps around that splintery wood and you boldly declare, I'm with Jesus, it will become the place of utmost joy and victory and satisfaction. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to take these truths deeper in your life, please consider joining us for a season or even just a week at Ellerslie sometime in 2020. Go to ellerslie.com to learn more. And you can also read the many articles and resources that we have available for you at setapartgirl.com. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.